Hello, and welcome to the stunning history of today. I'm Tess, and I'm here with Steph. Hello. And so today, we're going to be taking a look at an interesting event that happened on this day. I guess I should quickly say what this actual podcast is. It is an On This Day podcast where we look at anything that happened in history on this day. It can be a natural disaster, a discovery, a disappearance, maybe some true crime, which is uh, kind of what we're looking at today. Oh. Hint, hint. But we kind of take on anything that's interesting. Mm-hmm. We talk about it. Maybe learn something. Yay. Yeah. Always a good shout. Always got to learn something new. Yes, we like to learn new, interesting things. So, I guess we'll just get right into it. Yeah, sure. This one is going to be a bit of a long piece because there's just so much information. Right. And I've already cut back so much information, but there's still... (laughs) So she's going to be a bit long, but we'll get through it and hopefully not be too boring or sad because it is kind of sad. Okay. Heads up. (laughs) So, it's May the 12th, which... (laughs) It's my sister's birthday today. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. Don't listen to this on your birthday, please. <laughs> but it's so nice. So it's May the 12th. So in 1932, which was 89 years ago, she's mapping again. Then now we have to get serious and sad because this is actually really sad. But on this day, the body of 20-month-old Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr. was found. Which turned his kidnapping case into a murder case. God, congrats, guys. We went straight into baby murders. Yeah, I'm sorry. Episode two, we're already into baby murders. Wow, that got real deep real quick. It was just unfortunate timing. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So um, why was this case so significant? This is like a big deal, this case. Mm -hmm. It was, at the time when it happened, it was a huge deal. And we'll get into that later. But why was this such a big deal? Well, because... Charles Lindbergh Jr.'s dad, if you want to guess his name, was Charles Lindbergh. Oh my goodness, who would have thought? Here's me thinking it was like Fred. Oh my gosh. So, but who is Charles Lindbergh? Do you know who Charles Lindbergh is? I do not. Would you like to tell me? I will tell you more about him now. (laughs) So he was born in 1902. He was an American aviator, military officer, author, inventor, Mm. and activist. He's a bit busy then. He was a very busy man. He's basically like the male equivalent to like Amelia Earhart right like got his fame mainly through aviation and achieving stuff in aviation so let's get into that Mm -hmm. his aviation career so in 1927 when he was 25 Mm -hmm. which is how old I am which makes Mm -hmm. me feel like what have I accomplished in life this man (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) at my age he became world famous for making a non-stop flight from New York City to Paris right so it was it wasn't the first non-stop transatlantic flight that had happened because that had actually happened eight years earlier. But he did break records for transatlantic flights. It was the first solo one. It was the first one between two major city hubs. It was also the longest flight by almost 2,000 miles. Wow. So he broke a lot of records, <laughs> made history. It was considered a, a turning point for the development and advancement of aviation. So it's a pretty big deal. This event gained so much attention and fame that there's like a story. I don't know how much of this is legit because right. you see it in articles and you're like, I don't know who verified this. <laughs> but apparently his mother's house in Detroit was surrounded by a crowd of about a thousand people in like admiration for this man. Apparently. Okay. Apparently. We'll just pretend that happened. Um, but after um, 
this event, he was sought after. Mm-hmm. He was flooded for requests to be interviewed. Mm-hmm. Apparently was offered all these jobs at universities and with major corporations. Mm-hmm. He was even awarded the Medal of Honor, despite the fact that it was almost always awarded for heroism in combat. So he's a special case. Interesting. Um, and the last little piece about him before, because I feel like I'm talking a lot about him. <laughs> he was the first Time Magazine Man of the Year, first one ever, in 1928. Ooh. And he remains to be the youngest one ever Ooh. at the age of 25. On to his wife, okay. who is Anne Morrow. Happened to also be the daughter of Charles Lindbergh's financial advisor. So, like, connections, am I right? Mm. But they met in 1927 and then they got married in 1929. They had six kids. So a bit busy then. Lots of children. Right. They shared the love of flying mm-hmm. and Anne would accompany and sometimes assist him with his explorations and, you know, charting his air routes and being so nice. There's a lot of stories about Charles Lindbergh as a dad. People say that he was, like, never there. Oh. <laughs> he was a bit absent because he was always flying. Right. He was off doing famous people stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, famous people stuff well he was famous you know it makes it sound like there's like a diary where it's just like um <laughs> mr charles you have some famous people things to do later yeah, you're busy tomorrow you've got famous people <laughs> stuff to do <laughs> and then next week there is yet five you have some more famous people things to do so you're a busy man you're a busy man <laughs> but there's all these stories about how I don't, like again i don't know <laughs> if any of this is verified but it's all over like news reports and articles about how he was apparently really frugal so even though he wasn't home he would always make sure that the family wouldn't overspend money right all this kind of stuff and there's also stories later in life like after all this where he had mistresses all across europe and had apparently all these illegitimate children bloody hell (laughs) and there's like a whole thing about how they all found each other recently through dna you know those um Ancestry things. Ancestry things, yeah. Apparently they all found each other through them. Wow. <laughs> anyway, that's for another day. His <laughs> slightly interesting lifestyle in the 50s, like 40s and 50s, I think that was. Wow, he did not waste time. Anyway. <laughs> so, actually, on to what we're talking about today. The right. kidnapping. So, all of this information I got is from the FBI website. So, hopefully, she's Ooh. accurate. In saying that, though, that website is written so weirdly. It's so hard to read. <laughs> So you're telling me the FBI, who have a little bit of money, let's be real, they they didn't have a proper website? Well, no, it was just like the way it was. It was written like a real dense report. You know what I mean? Like it's dry. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of hard to read. Some of the sentences are really like just jam-packed information. You like have to read it three times to be like, wait, what? I'm surprised you didn't come across like redacted, redacted the entire time. But then there also is like articles that have information that wasn't on the FBI website. Mm. So I don't know if the FBI will just like... FBI? Oh my God, did I just say FBI? (laughs) I'm totally fine. So Um, so the FBI? Tell us more about them. The (laughs) FBI. No, but like there's information that isn't on the website. So I don't know where these articles got the information. So I feel like there's some stuff that is being circulated that may not be accurate. Sounds like it's a tabloid thing. Yes. Well, she was a big deal. Yeah. So I can can see why maybe there's a lot of misinformation that goes Mm -hmm. around. But anyway, so we'll get on to this kidnapping. Because it started off as a kidnapping. So at about 9pm on March the 1st, 1932, the kidnapper or nappers uh, climbed by ladder into the second story nursery of the Lindbergh home near Hopewell, New Jersey. 
they abducted the child and left a ransom note demanding $50,000. Okay. So the Lindbergh baby dubbed the Eaglet. Eaglet. When I first read it, I thought it was Eglet, but it's E-A-G-L-E-T. Oh, okay. So Eaglet, yeah. Yeah. I guess like an eagle, baby eagle. I didn't know it was called eagle. I don't know either. <laughs> I made that up. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like an I'm trying insult. to justify that. <laughs> it literally sounds like an insult as well. Like, oh, be such an eagle right now. Such. Apparently they called the little baby eagle. I don't know. Because um, <laughs> he flew to the coop. <gasps> oh, oh my God, stop. Okay. I'm right. sorry. I was such a no, joke. let's continue. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was discovered missing by Betty Gow, who was the child's nanny, about an hour later. Okay. I don't know how they know the exact time of the abduction, but... Maybe they, like, checked a little bit before. Like, she has to check every hour. Such. And then they're like, there's some point there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the Lindberghs notified the local authorities, who in turn ceded control of the investigation to the New Jersey State Police. Uh, A search of the crime scene uncovered the ransom note, which we'll get to soon. On the sill of an open window, Mm -hmm. they discovered a ransom note. Yeah. They also found muddy but indistinct footprints in the nursery. Okay. A ladder was discovered some distance from the Lindbergh house, broken at a point where two sections were joined. Okay. And footprints were found leading into the woods at the edge of the property. Okay. So that's like the general gist of how this all started with the kidnapping. So, the ransom note. Oh, God. Anytime I hear that there's a ransom note in a case, I either think it's fake, it's a hoax, Mm -hmm. or it's just a way to extort money. I've never really heard of a situation... Where there's been an exchange of money for life. Yeah. So every time I heard this, I was like, this is going to end badly. Because yeah. ransom notes, they're etch. They never <laughs> work out the way they should. Okay. So it's a brief handwritten ransom note that had many spelling and grammar irregularities. Okay. So I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to point out. Sorry, that was such. I don't know why I sighed. <laughs> I have to read to you. Um, <laughs> God forbid. But I'm going to tell you what the spelling mistakes are, so you get ready to be visual in your mind about what this looks like. <laughs> right. So it says, Dear Sir, exclamation point. Right. Have $50,000 ready, spelled R-E-D-Y. Okay. $25,000 in $20 bills, $15,000 in $10 bills, and $10,000 in $5 bills. Very specific about their very, numbers. Yeah. So after two to four days, we will inform you were to deliver the money. Money spelled M-O-N-Y. Okay. And instead of saying where, they were. said were. Okay. We warn you for making any ding public or for notify the police the child is in gut care. Mm. So anything is spelled with a D instead of a T-H. Okay. Any ding. And so that whole sentence, there's no like commas or anything. It's just a full on running sentence. And they say gut instead of good. G-U-T instead of good. Indication for all letters are signature. Signature spelled S-I-N-G mm-hmm. instead of, they put an N in there. And uh, three holes, H-O-H-L-S. Okay. So when I first read that, it took me so long to realize I was trying to say holes. Because I was mm-hmm. like, holes? <laughs> What are they trying to say here? Holes? <laughs> I was like, what? But no, they're trying to say holes. Yeah, okay. So that last bit is basically saying they've got a special signature that they're going to put on all their notes so that they know it's from these people. So it's okay. not a hoax. So now I'm going to try and describe what they call this signature with okay. these holes. So again, we have to get into the minds. Okay, visually. I'm closing my eyes. I'm going to visualize. So, 
So at the bottom of the note, there were two interconnected blue circles. Okay. And, like, you know, like a Venn diagram? Yes, such. Um, <laughs> surrounding, so in the middle, where they, in, where they overlap, yes. there's a red circle. Right. And a hole punched through that red circle. Okay. Then on the left side of the blue and the mm-hmm. right side of the blue on the outsides mm-hmm. there's a there's hole punches there too okay so if you go from the outside in you have a hole punch blue circle and then in the middle red, red circle. circle with a hole punch in the middle yeah so complicated <laughs> okay interesting but that is their signature to prove that it's them and not mm-hmm. some random ass person being like give me more money and you know trying to take advantage of it fair I feel like I talked about that for such a long time. <laughs> to be fair, like, that whole ransom note was... I have a headache now, basically. <laughs> <laughs> she's... She's kind of... You kind of need to know this, though, because it comes into how they figured out who they should be looking for. Is it, like, a... Just based on how it sounds, like, it's it's being said and... You know how you, like, sound out words and stuff like that? Mm. Is it, like, a... A non-American? Possibly. <gasps> oh. just possibly because like i'm thinking of accents in my head and there's like a couple but i can't be completely sure like i don't want to say that the person is like definitely not american or they're definitely uh what's the word um uneducated because i think the signature bit was i mean it's not like a terrible signature it's actually pretty smart mm. so something's telling me it's they're not like fully uneducated or something like that they might just be they might just speak a different language. Bless. So, oh my god, why am I oh my not god, a detective? Steph, you're a detective. Oh, oh my god, god. <laughs> the FBI needs a call. <laughs> I'm never gonna live that down. Never. FBI. <laughs> oh well. Next episode, we'll get the FBI <laughs> involved. I want to join the FBI. <laughs> no. Carry <okay>. on. <laughs> so on to um, the crime scene again. So during the search. At the kidnapping scene, traces of mud were found on the floor of the nursery, like I said before, mm-hmm. but these were impossible to measure. They were found under the nursery window as well. There were no blood stains in or about the nursery, nor were there any fingerprints. Now, I read in an article, it wasn't going to add this in, but I read in an article, which I think is interesting, there's theories as to why these things are significant. So the not being able to measure the length of the footprint, the theory is that they had covered their shoes in something. Mm-hmm. Because then they couldn't also get a shoe print. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is accurate or not, but that's one it of the theories. Make sense, yeah. And then the other theory that they were also talking about is that when they say there were no fingerprints, they also mean that anyone in the house had no fingerprints in that room. Okay. So like on the windowsill where you would expect the nanny or Ch- Charles Lindbergh himself having his fingerprints in that area, there were none. So possibly wiped it down before they left. Because I don't know how good their fingerprint hmm. technology was back then. Yeah. I bet if you just wiped it down, it would probably not have picked it up. I don't know. I mean, you'd really have to, like, scrub that off. Because, like, you know when you put your thumb on glass, for example, hmm. it does take a while before, like, you fully can get it off. Bless. So unless, like, they were in there with, like, a, a brush and some soap or bleach or whatever, I don't think that... It was the 30s, though. So I don't know how advanced their fingerprint things were. Yeah. I feel like it was just dust. Like, here's me thinking that it's going to be like proper forensics. CSI <laughs> level of forensics. I don't really know, but that was something that circulated, may not be accurate again, uh-huh. but that was just something that was kind of talked about. It's interesting. So, word of the kidnapping spread quickly. So, along with the police, well-connected and well-intentioned people arrived at the Lindbergh estate. They heard about it and they're like, we gotta go there. Mm-hmm. 
So a whole bunch of military colonels also turned up, like friends of Lindbergh's, and they want to offer their help. But only one of these actually had law enforcement experience, and mm-hmm. they and it was actually the superintendent of the New Jersey State Police. So he had friends in high places, okay. very important people. So these men, Lindbergh and these men, they were gathered, and they speculated the kidnapping was done by a organized crime figure, someone in the organized crime world. Okay. Don't know why they had that theory, but that's what they wanted to go with. Now, this is where your theory earlier comes in. Ooh. They thought that the letter was written by someone who spoke German as his native language. Oh, I didn't think German. You didn't think German? No. I did when I realized that gut and good were used. Gut was used instead of good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's a bit Germany. I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit Germany. That's, that's funny. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Um, but, such, but at this time, Charles Lindbergh used his influence to control the direction of the investigation. He was like, this is my son. Mm-hmm. Y'all, I'm, I'm famous. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> I've got famous people things to do. I'm, I'm a famous person. So they kind of went off and did their own thing. And when they went off to do their own thing, they tried to get in contact with uh, known mobsters. So they kind of approached owners of speakeasies Mm -hmm. to try and be like, hey, you know mobsters, get us in touch with them. We want to talk about this kidnapping. So they went and did that. And then other important people in the crime world. Of course. (laughs) Important people? I guess significant people. They're not important. I guess guess. the godfathers. (laughs) Kind of. Al Capone was in prison at the time, but he offered his help. He, okay. he was like, look, I know people. I can find this baby for you in return, you know, get me out of jail type of situation. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, no. <laughs> Hold We're up. not going to have Al Capone. You want to get out of jail? You're not helping us find a baby. That's not how you're getting out of jail. <laughs> but like, think about the help that he could have actually put to good use because yeah like he's a mobster and stuff but like it's a baby i'm pretty sure he's like oh you know i don't want to see a child get harmed in any kind of way let me offer my services but also let me you know walk about kind of free a little bit you know what i mean <laughs> and then just went no we'd rather this baby just die to stay in prison it's like okay wow but i guess there was also a theory like maybe if it isn't mob related how much could he help i mean he knows people in places that the police probably wouldn't or wouldn't be able to like get proper answers so from get, like information yeah because like the police technically can't beat answers out of someone but he would just do it be like where's the kid Pfft, tell me people are gonna get hurt <laughs> yes people gonna get hurt if you don't tell me where the bubby is oh my gosh the morning after the kidnapping this is to show you how much of a deal this was authorities notified the president Whoa. Herbert Hoover of the crime. They actually went to him and they were like, this thing just happened. It's a big deal. So at the time, kidnapping was classified as a state crime and the case did not seem to have any grounds of federal involvement. Uh, however, the Bureau of Investigation, which is now known as the FBI... <laughs> I'm embracing it now. I'm just embracing it. The FBI. It's now known as the FBI. It was authorised to investigate the case. So they weren't the sole investigators. They were just kind of helping out. Yeah. But they also told the United States Coast Guard, the U.S. Customs Service, the U.S. Immigration Service, and the Washington, D.C. Police, like, you guys may need to help out. So they basically warned all of them, like, mm-hmm. keep your ear out, keep your an eye out for something, because you may need to jump in and help. So this is a big mm-hmm. deal. This is huge. So 
New Jersey officials announced a $25,000 reward for the safe return of little Lindy. Mm. The Lindbergh family offered an additional $50,000 reward of their own. Interesting, right? At this time, the total reward was $75,000, which was approximately, roughly... 1.17 1.17 million in today. Oh my god, I'd go find that child. That is a huge amount. Not only is it a huge amount now, yeah. but keep in mind that this was during the midst of the Great Depression. Oh shit. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money to get your hands on. Especially in a time where there were so many people out of work, mm-hmm. in poverty. Economic downfall and shit. It is pretty... Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Oh. The interesting thing, though, about that amount is if you remember the ransom note was for Mm $50,000, they've announced a reward for $75,000. So naturally, they receive a second ransom note, Charles Lindbergh did, on March the 6th. Yeah. It was postmarked for March the 4th. Just some information there. (laughs) The ransom demand was increased to $70,000. They basically saw that they were offering all this extra piece and they're like um no hello so wait 70 instead of 75 uh, say for instance i was the kidnapper and then i'm seeing these people being like oh um i'm gonna give you 75 if you can help me find my kid i'd be like give me the 75 <laughs> i have your child i'm writing this in a note <laughs> like i see what you mean they yeah. could have asked for 75 but they only asked for 70 okay i Weird. don't really know that mean interesting times right now um for anyone at home that wants to play a game if you're drinking something or eating something you want to indulge in something now's the time to do it anytime <laughs> i mention a ransom note take a swig of something or bite something because <laughs> We're going to be <laughs> going to be having a lot of ransom notes. I just hear you saying ransom note, and then someone just biting their cats and just like oh hoping no, for the best. no food, guys, food. Don't <laughs> bite random stuff. We're talking about food here. Take a bite of that chocolate bar next to you. I know that you want to. So we have a third ransom note. This okay. was received by Lindbergh's attorney on mm-hmm. March the eighth. So about a week after the kidnapping. They want to appoint someone to be like a go-between between between the Lindberghs and themselves, Mm -hmm. the kidnappers. Right. So now they're going to post a request in the newspaper. On the same day, Dr. John F. Condon from the Bronx Mm. and New York City, he's a retired school principal. I believe he's like 72 years old, around that age. He published in the Bronx Home News an offer to act as the go-between and to pay an additional $1,000 ransom. Okay. The following day, the fourth ransom note... Take a swig. (laughs) We're at number four now. The fourth ransom note was received by Condon and it indicated that he would be acceptable as a go-between. Okay. And this was approved by the Lindberghs. Okay. So after that they started negotiations for payment through the newspaper columns. Mm -hmm. And they were using code names and code words and... Doing it all through newspapers. <laughs> it's the 30s. We have to do it through a newspaper. Of course. So, March the 12th, after receiving an anonymous telephone call, Condon received the fifth ransom note. Everyone's drunk. <laughs> We're not even halfway there, guys. <laughs> um, he was, it was delivered by a taxi driver who received it from an unidentified stranger. The message stated that another note would be found beneath a stone at a vacant stand a hundred feet from an outlying subway station. This note, the sixth note, mm-hmm. was found by Condon and it had instructions uh, to meet an unidentified man who called himself John at Woodlawn Cemetery. 
They meet up and John reportedly relayed his story saying that he was a Scandinavian sailor. He's part of a gang of three men and two women and the baby was being held on a boat unharmed but would be returned only for ransom. Mm -hmm. When Condon expressed doubt that John actually had the baby, he promised some proof. Uh, So John assured everyone, mainly Condon, that the baby was still alive. Still alive, I'll send you proof. The baby's sleeping suit as a token of identity and a seventh ransom note (laughs) were received by Condon on March the 16th. Right. So at this point, we are over two weeks since the kidnapping. The suit was delivered to the Lindberghs and later identified as Baby Charles's. The eighth ransom note (laughs) was received by Condon on March the 21st, insisting on complete compliance and advising that the kidnapping had been planned for a year. Now, at this rate, when I was reading this, and it's like we're up to eight notes. Yeah. I don't know whether it was the time it took them to get the money together, but they're a wealthy family. Mm -hmm. I would assume they could get that money together if they really needed to quickly. We are 21 days since the kidnapping. Mm -hmm. Still no exchange. Mm -hmm. Nothing really happening. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if this was my baby, I would have that money ready and ready to swap within days. Yeah. This is three-ish weeks. Yeah. So this is getting weird. Mm -hmm. This is weird to start with. Like... It's like they're almost not that interested in getting the kid back because they're taking so long. They're taking so long. And I don't, I couldn't find out why it took them so long, whether it was that the ransom people, the ransom people, the ransom, the kidnappers, (laughs) um, whether they were being difficult as to find a time and place or like a date or whether it was trying to get the money together. Like I couldn't find any information as to why all this back and forth with all these notes. Yeah. Anyway, so. We're going to keep going with these notes because on March the 30th, the ninth note was Mm -hmm. received by Condon, threatening to increase the demand to $100,000. Jesus. And they now were refusing to use the codes in the newspaper columns. So they're like, we're not going to contact you through the columns anymore. We're sick of using these codes. So they're getting a bit antsy, which obviously it's been a month now. Mm -hmm. This is getting ridiculous. So... I hope you're still not drunk yet because we're up to the 10th ransom note. <laughs> 10th ransom note received by Condon on April the 1st, instructed him to have the money ready the following night, to which Condon replied by an ad in the press. So, the 11th ransom note oh my God. was delivered to Condon on April the 2nd the following day by an unidentified taxi driver who said he received it from an unknown man. Mm-hmm. So Condon found the 12th ransom note under a stone in front of a greenhouse in the Bronx, New York, as instructed in the 11th note. So almost feels like they're playing around with them. Like, here's a note telling you where to find the next note, like it's a treasure hunt or something. And it's like, why can't you just give me a note with all the information on it? I don't understand. Like, they, they had telephones back then, right? Yeah, I, I think mean, so. I, I mean, my uneducated. Like, like, I'm pretty sure they did, yeah. So they, they wouldn't be able to... There's I mean, telegrams. They yeah, have telegrams there's telegrams as well. As far as I'm aware, they don't. They can't really do a trace. Like At least not a proper one on a phone call. Just call them. <laughs> Jesus. Send a text message. Send a text. It's taking so long. It's literally crazy. So we are over a month mm-hmm. at this point since the kidnapping. So this is... If I were the Lindberghs, I would be losing my mind. Yeah. This is crazy. Okay, so now on to the ransom itself. This may be why it's taken a while to get it together, but we'll see. So the money included a number of gold certificates mm-hmm. 
And the reason for this was because they were about to be withdrawn from circulation. They were going to do like a swap over of like, hand in your gold certificates for the new currency or whatever we're using. So mm-hmm. it was hoped that greater attention would be drawn to anyone spending them. Yeah. Also because people will be like, oh, why are you giving me these gold certificates? I'm going to have to go in and exchange them. And yeah. so um, the bills were not marked, but their serial numbers were recorded. Okay. So that's the money. So here we go. Condon met John and told him that they had been able to raise only $50,000, which is the original ransom rate anyway. Mm-hmm. The man accepted the money and gave Condon a note saying that the child could be found on a boat named Nelly mm-hmm. near Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Uh, I can't say Massachusetts. That was okay. Yeah, you did it. Let me try it again. Massachusetts. Was that all right? No. <laughs> oh my God, I can't say Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Mass- Mass- Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Oh, oh so my close. god. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting the extra tier. Massachusetts. Cyst. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the extra tier? I'm not American. Leave me alone. I never had to say the state <laughs> ever. So Martha's Vineyard, yes, in that place. In that place with that starts with M <laughs> and has all the S's. <laughs> So the following day, they had an unsuccessful search for the baby um, because they looked at all the ports, all the boats. There was not a boat called Nelly, nothing that matched that. So is this a hoax slash extortion? I think so. Probably, like what Mm. I felt like. Um, They later repeated the search, but again, nothing. And it was getting to the point where it's like, where do we go from here? So... Finally, we're on this day. Oh, no. <laughs> it took a while, but we're on this day, May the 12th. The body of the kidnapped baby was accidentally found, partly buried and badly decomposed. Oh, God. Now, he was found about four and a half miles southeast of the Lindbergh home. He was 45 feet from the highway near Mount Rose, New Jersey. So the discovery was made by William Allen, an assistant on a truck driven by Orville Wilson. Now, information about injuries. So, like, if you don't want to hear, don't listen. (laughs) It's a bit sad. So the head was crushed. There was a hole in the skull. And there's some other information because he was decomposed. It's not pretty. You can only imagine that poor person that found him. Mm. So the body was positively identified by, I believe, the nurse, Betty Gow, Mm -hmm. and he was cremated the next day in uh, Trenton, New Jersey. So the coroner's examination showed that the child had been dead for about two months. So if we do some maths... Wait. It's roughly the day that he was kidnapped. And because he was so close to the home, the theory is that he was dead the day he was kidnapped. Okay. They say the death was caused by a blow to the head. So we're going to get into theories a bit later about what's going on. Mm. But after all that time, poor little baby Charles Lindbergh Jr., he was deceased. So now we have to catch this guy. Oh my God. <laughs> We've turned into a murder investigation. So I feel sad now. I know, very sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> On the 23rd of May, the FBI in New York City informed banks to keep an eye out for the ransom money. And on the 26th of May, the New Jersey State Police announced a reward 
of $25,000 for information resulting in the apprehension and conviction of the kidnappers because they don't really have much to go off on at the moment. Mm -hmm. They're struggling and they've already handed over money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So who knows what's going on out there. So public outrage led to the U.S. Congress to pass the Federal Kidnapping Act, known as the Lindbergh Law. Mm-hmm. So on June the 22nd, 1932, the day that would have been Charles's second birthday, mm-hmm. the Lindbergh Law uh, made kidnapping across state lines a federal crime and stipulated that such an offence could be punished by death. So that was the start of, like, if you kidnap, kidnap someone and you go to another state, it's federal crime, FBI will get involved... And it's a serious offence. Good. And it's all from poor little, poor little Charles Lindbergh. So uh, June 1932 was an interesting month. Not only did that happen, but they began to suspect the crime had been perpetrated by someone that the Lindberghs knew. Because mm-hmm. I read an article, which again was not on the <laughs> FBI website, but there was this article about how the Lindberghs owned all these homes. And there was like some of them that they stayed on weekends, some that they stayed full time, and they kind of moved around between these homes. And the one they were in that night, I believe they weren't supposed to be there. Oh. So like I think they were supposed to be at another house. Okay. I think I read it in an article, so don't come at me if it's not right. <laughs> I forgot what article it was, but it was one of those ones where they're like, it had to have been someone who knew where they were. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, suspicion fell upon Violet Sharp, who was a British household servant at the Morrow home. And the Morrows is, of course, Charles's wife. Um, she had given contradictory information regarding her whereabouts on the night of the kidnapping. And it was reported that she appeared nervous and suspicious when questioned. Unfortunately, poor little Violet, she committed suicide on June the 10th uh, by ingesting a silver polish that contained cyanide just before being questioned for the fourth time. Her alibi was later confirmed and police were criticised for their heavy-handedness. Uh, Such yeah. sadness. Condon was also questioned by police and his home was searched but nothing was found and Charles Lindbergh stood by Condon the whole time. Which, when you think about it, they let a random-ass person who just put something in the newspaper get involved in this. Mm-hmm. He was like, they were relying on, on him... To pass over this money. Like, it's crazy that there was just this random person involved. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that, that makes me think that, Me like, being suspicious about everyone? Well, yeah. I mean, like, a kid's died. And, it, like, you've had this, like, random person, like you said, just casually come into the mix. Yeah, so what? The, the kidnappers have asked, can we have a person to go between us? But, like... Huh? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. random, isn't it? And the fact that the ransom people... I keep calling them ransom people. <laughs> kidnappers were like, yeah, he will do. And the Lindbergh's like, yeah, I guess so. Like, yeah. they just this consensus of that will do. How did the kidnappers know mm-hmm. that Condon didn't know the Lindberghs before? Like, for all they know, he could have been an old family friend. Unless the person who kidnapped the baby is somebody they know. <laughs> and then they would know if could be the Hindu Series of So, I mean, I could end this here because that's what happened on this day is they found little baby Charles Lindbergh, but I feel like we need to find out what happened. I want some closure. Yeah, we need to find out what's going on, guys. So we're <laughs> going to keep going. So I'm sorry, I know this is getting long, but I'm enjoying this. I don't I'm, know. I'm definitely enjoying I'm, I'm curious. My inner true crime fan is like we need to know what's going on okay so the next thing the police could do like what can we do we've got no information no leads 
So now they're keeping a track on the ransom money. Where is it turning up? Who's using it? Who's... Where is it? And they found a few bills kind of scattered all over the place as in Chicago, Minneapolis, kind of all over the place. So mm-hmm. could, it was hard to pin down. By presidential order, all gold certificates were to be exchanged for other bills by May the 1st, 1933. Mm-hmm. A few days before the deadline, a man brought about $3,000 to a Manhattan bank for exchange. It was later realised that those bills were from the ransom. So uh, he had given a name. He gave the name J.J. Faulkner. He gave an address. But no one named Faulkner lived at that address. And a Jane Faulkner, who had lived there 20 years earlier, denied any involvement. So they're being sneaky. Also, just to point out, that is all over a year later. So wow. this is taking quite some time for them to zone in on someone and figure it all out. Okay. Let's look into some ways that they tried to find the kidnappers. So they uh, examined the ransom notes by like handwriting experts, which I don't think is really used much today. I feel like it's like a debunked science that they don't rely on anymore. But yeah. um, they were looking at it and they uh, formed the opinion that all the notes were written by the same person mm-hmm. and that the writer was of German nationality. I don't know how they, apart from the spelling mistakes, yeah. I don't know how you can really be like, that's German. But yeah. that's what they have decided also, on. Didn't the, the, what's it called, the main kidnapper, I guess you could say, John, yeah. said he was Swedish? He said he was Scandinavian. Scandinavian, yeah. yeah. But who knows? Mm. Who knows? Um, then Condon is so obsessed with this. He, obviously, he's gotten involved now and he's like, I need to help fix this or find this person. So he was trying to help find John. So he helped by giving descriptions for sketch artists to do sketches of John. And then this is what I love about Condon. He's like low-key obsessed because he started providing transcripts of the conversations they had. Mm -hmm. Not just that. He would record himself reenacting the conversations, including imitating John's accent and pronunciations. Okay. He was obsessed with <laughs> trying mean, to help. Well, you know, a kid's died and he feels like somewhat responsible because he could. He felt like he could have done more. So he really, really wants to make sure that all the information about John, John. is like related to the police. He wants to a catch John. He wants to help. So with all the information they have gathered, they believe that they know the nationality, the level of education, the mentality... And they believe they know the character of the kidnapper. So they feel like they know who this person is. Okay. They've got a clear definition of who this person is. And they're now preserving all this for future use. So they're mm-hmm. going to refer to it when they find suspects. So another attempt to try to identify the kidnapper was centered around the ladder that was used. Okay. Because uh, they realized, the police realized, it was crudely built. But it was built by someone who was familiar with wood and they were mechanically inclined, was the quote I found. Mm-hmm. The person who built this ladder. They uh, had examined it thoroughly for fingerprints and they had shown builders, carpenters, neighbours and the Lindberghs this ladder, but no information came out. They found nothing from that. So, what do we do now? We've gone through all these other pieces. We're going back to the ransom money. Okay. They had a breakthrough with the ransom money on September the 18th, 1934. 1934, so we're like two and a half years later. Right. A Manhattan bank teller noticed a gold certificate from the ransom, and they had seen that there was a New York license plate number penciled 
into the margin of the bill. So they traced that back to a nearby gas station. And the station manager had written down the number because his customer was acting suspicious Mm -hmm. and was possibly a counterfeiter. Mm -hmm. So they traced that number uh, to a man called Bruno Richard Hauptmann Mm -hmm. and his sedan that he owned. Now, he's Bruno Richard Hauptmann, but the FBI call him Richard Hauptmann. So I'm just going to refer to him as Richard. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is an immigrant with a criminal record in Germany. Mm. He's German. And when he was arrested, he was carrying a single $20 gold certificate. And then when they searched his garage, they found $14,000 of the ransom money. (gasps) He's got the money! So, he's arrested, charged, Mm -hmm. he goes on trial. And the trial begins on January the 3rd, 1935 in New Jersey. It lasts for five weeks. Mm -hmm. So, the case against him was based... On circumstantial evidence. So there's, even to this day, a lot of like, hmm, did he really do it? What's the tea? He was a carpenter with mm. a criminal record for robbery. Right. Tool marks on the ladder matched tools owned by him. Wood in the ladder was found to match wood used as flooring in his attic. Mm-hmm. Condon's telephone number and address were found scrawled on a door frame inside a closet in his house. Mm. And the handwriting on the ransom notes matched samples of his handwriting. Okay, so he did it in case closed. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this is what he says. So he denied it all. He's like, I'm not guilty. He, this is his story. Mm-hmm. His story is that he has a friend. That I would say the friend's name, but the friend's name changes depending on what you read. Okay. So I'm not going to say it, just in case <laughs> I get it wrong. Okay. <laughs> but he has a friend who's also German. Should we call that person Bill? I mean, that's not just a very the, German name, is it? I know, it? but just for the sake of this, <laughs> otherwise we're going to have to go with the friends. Okay, well, we'll just call him Bill. <laughs> Humor us. So the story is that Bill went back to Germany in December 1933 mm-hmm. and left the money with Richard. But this friend Bill, he died in Germany in March 1934. So Richard said that... He found the box, shoe box full of money one day and he was like, well, he owed me money. Apparently this friend owed him money from a business or something. And even he found $40,000, which is, you know, very, it's a lot. It's a lot and close to the ransom money. And we know it is the ransom money. Yeah. Um, and so he decided... Well, he owes me money. I'm going to keep it for myself and live off of it until he gets back. But he obviously died in Germany. (laughs) So he was living off of it since January 1934. There was also controversy around this, well, him, Richard, because he claimed that police beat him and they tried to force him to make his handwriting look like the letters. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of like, that isn't actually my handwriting. They forced me to make it look like the letters so they could say it's a match. So there's Mm -hmm. all this stuff going about as well. Who knows? On February the 13th, 1935, the jury returned a verdict. He was found guilty of murder in the first degree Mm -hmm. and he was sentenced to death. So they obviously appealed because if you have a death sentence, the first thing that happens is appeal. Mm -hmm. And... After all this back and forth of appeals, April the 3rd, 1936, at 8.47pm, Bruno Richard Hopman was electrocuted. Oh. He was executed and he died. So 
you would think that's the end of it, right? All no, done and dusted. Not. The, the fact that you've asked, I'm just like, nope, that's never it. Well, officially, it's done and dusted because the case is closed. They have a conviction and yeah. they executed him. But there's a lot of theories yeah. to this day. Hutman's widow, even recently, like a few years ago, still was like, nah, he was innocent. You just pinned it on him because it was easy to pin it on him. Mm-hmm. Mind you, though, there's a lot of evidence against him and he did have the money. Yeah. So what? The, like the tools, the address and phone number and stuff like, come yeah, on. Yeah, that can't be a coincidence. Um, but there's a lot of books that have been written saying that he was innocent. They're highlighting the inadequate police work at the crime scene. Lindbergh's interference in the investigation. Apparently, um, Richard had terrible lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the weaknesses and the witnesses and physical evidence. They apparently were like, how could you possibly have convicted him and put him to death with the information that you had. Mm -hmm. So there are other theories and like the two most popular theories are that it was by Charles Lindbergh himself. Yeah. So the first theory was that they had planned a kidnapping to secretly move the child abroad because it is implied by some sources that the baby actually had a possible physical disability. Oh. So they said that it was a way to hide him away and get him out of the spotlight because I guess it was shameful to have a physical disability back then. Well, that's just weird. <laughs> and then the other theory was that uh, that Lindbergh accidentally killed him mm-hmm. when he was climbing on a ladder and dropped his son. Yeah, like, okay, I'm not going to lie. When you said that the baby had a crushed skull, my first thought was, like, when the kidnapper... Because, like, when you said that the baby got killed on the day that they um, were reported missing, Mm. my first thought was that whoever kidnapped them was coming out the window and accidentally just dropped the kid Mm. and was just like, well, shit. (laughs) Just picked up the baby, unfortunately gone, like... Yeah. yeah, that is that's that was what I was thinking too because the ladder was broken. Yeah, and they always said like it's possible that it broke on the descent, which would make sense. They were carrying him out, dropped him, he mm-hmm. died. And like we must all just go through with this and get some money out of yeah. it. Yeah, because like they they haven't been able to say he definitely died on the day of the kidnapping, but the fact that he was so close to the home, I don't know if you would go back so close to the home to dispose of him. Do you know no. what I mean? So like, I feel like it would have had to have happened on the night. Yeah, it feels like because it was that close. It was probably like a rush job. Like, it does sound like a bit of a panicked thing. Yeah. So the the baby died on the descent down the, down the ladder. The panic ensues. I need to get as far away as possible. But I need to be able to like go through with what I gotta do. So bury them in the highway or near the highway, you said. Mm. And try to just get out of there as fast as you can. That were the two other theories. Because the fact that it was so slow to get... Like, again, like I said before, I don't know why it was so it took them so long to do this ransom mm-hmm. exchange. But part of the theory was like, well, maybe they knew that the baby was already dead. So, you know, there's so many theories. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they convicted someone... So in their mind, it's closed. But people are going to keep talking about it and yeah. suspect and be suspicious. and yeah, of course. You know, but poor little baby Charles. Mm-hmm. So um, the only other interesting thing about this case is if you are a Agatha Christie fan like I am, because <laughs> I've read all her books. I'm but not a Star Wars fan, but anyways. Okay, don't come at me like that. <laughs> but if you've read or seen mm-hmm. the many screen adaptions of The Murder on the Orient, Orient Express... Mm-hmm. 
if you remember Daisy Armstrong. Oh, yeah. So her backstory or her story is actually inspired by Mm. baby Charles Lindbergh. That's terrible. Isn't it? So it had a big impact, that story, as you can probably imagine. Because it was a celebrity's baby. Not even just that, it's a baby. Yeah. It's an innocent It was a big deal. Um, So that is (laughs) the case of Charles Lindbergh Jr., I can't even call it stunning. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, dear God. Well, now that I've read all the information, because obviously I'm obsessed, and I've read all the articles (laughs) and all the FBI websites, (laughs) um, I don't want to say I have doubt that Richard Hopman did it, but it definitely kind of made me go, I want more information. Yeah. I want to know what proves him innocent. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Because it's so easy to be like, well, because of X, Y, and Z, that's definitely why, like, he killed the baby. But what says that he didn't? Like, Mm. where was he that day, that night, I should say? Like, there's got to be more to it. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's not the only German carpenter in America. Well, I forgot to say, actually, because he mentioned, like, in the case, he was like, if I'm a carpenter, I would not have built a ladder that would break. Mm -hmm. So there was all these other things where he would fight back, like, but I didn't do this, and there's an explanation for this. And his explanation for the ladder was, like, he didn't have an explanation as to how the wood matched, but he was like, if I were to build a ladder, Mm -hmm. mate, she wouldn't break. (laughs) She would be as sturdy as ladder. (laughs) What if the wood was, like, just a common wood, and it just happened to match? What if the tools are the exact same that you would use for that? Or maybe someone borrowed his tools. This is the thing. Because it is a possibility that his friend actually mm-hmm. did it. Yeah. And then just dumped the money on him, mm-hmm. buggered off to Germany and died. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a theory, I guess, too. But, yeah. like, I'm one of those people where, like, even if someone confesses, I still am a bit, like... Because, okay, the tea is I watched... There's a thing on Netflix about The Son of Sam. Mm-hmm. It's a new piece. And it's about how this man wrote a book about it all and how he theorized that it was a cult that did mm-hmm. all the murders and not David Berkowitz on his own. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but he confessed to the whole thing. Like, he was like, yeah, I did all that. And he was like, embraced the fact that he was a serial killer. And then years later, he was like, oh, I actually didn't do all this stuff. So I'm really like skeptical, even with confessions of like, but did they actually do it? I mean, okay, so for something like that, I'm pretty sure that he was just like reveling in the fact that he was like important for a little bit. And he's like, oh my God, look at me, I killed people. I'm so like interesting and dangerous. And then years later, he's like, well, that's a stupid thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) Because like the, like with him in particular, like when you look at those interviews, people like, well, he's lying. He Mm -hmm. actually did all of it. And now he's trying to make himself look good. But then he would say in the interviews, like, oh, I was there. I just didn't pull the trigger because it was a group effort. Yeah. But then, yeah, you hear these stories. And so when I read this one, you know, part of me is like, it makes sense. Like, it's not like they picked out a random person with no evidence Mm -hmm. and built a case. Mm -hmm. He did have the ransom money. Mm -hmm. He did have things that pointed to him being like, that is suspicious. But then part of me is like, but I want more. Yeah. (laughs) I want more detail. I want to understand more. Like, I need more proof. But I don't know if that's just me being like, paranoid about things no it's completely normal it's it's completely normal because it's like the, you're not satisfied by that you know this is, a, this is now a closed case kind of thing because yeah. everyone deserves the right to be like i didn't do this for this and this reason here's my evidence here's my witness my alibi my whatever 
And I don't think, I mean, as far as I'm aware, anyway, I don't think he truly got any of that. Maybe he, like, was able to stand up for himself and obviously said his lawyers were pretty shit. So <laughs> maybe that attributed to the fact that he still got electrocuted in the end. Blessed. Because then the other thing for me is, like, unless they confess and there's all this evidence that's, like, undeniable, mm-hmm. I always doubt that they do it. That's just yeah. me as a person because I'm like, I just need the confirmation <laughs> I need to be 100% true and if there's any doubt I'm like I don't know yeah it's like when those really famous cases and people are like who do you think did it like you know it's a theory I'm always like I have no idea <laughs> I have no opinion could literally be anyone the one that comes to mind is you know the staircase one mm-hmm. the, oh my god Steph <laughs> okay there's a Netflix series about it and everything like the the uh now I'm so bad with names I can't remember names but basically this man's wife dies and he says that she fell down the stairs but it looks like it was murder and there's was, like was it death becomes her oh my god death becomes her no no, that- no, no. <laughs> no 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 kind of similar but no but there's like a whole netflix series about how he's like i'm innocent they arrest him i think he goes to trial i can't remember all the details but like even with all this um evidence against him and there's like stories from his past that make it like he had a he was in Germany I think and someone else fell down the stairs and died and he was also there so like there's all this evidence of like he was at a similar crime scene a few Mm -hmm. years earlier Mm -hmm. and now it's happened to his wife Mm -hmm. and even though a lot of people think he did it and there's a lot of evidence I'm like but there's not a (laughs) hundred (laughs) percent I have doubt I can't say for certain if he did it or not what if it's just a really really bad coincidence he just happened to walk in the same time someone fell down the stairs he's like ah shit not again (laughs) why am I always around people who fall downstairs guys we've got to stop being lazy and slack we've got to walk downstairs properly oh my gosh did that inspire death becomes oh my god death becomes Oh my gosh, that was amazing. <laughs> anyway, I better stop talking about... Because I'm going to... If you get me going on true crime, oh my gosh, <laughs> I will talk and talk and talk. So I think this has gone on for long enough. Yeah, this was fun though. Not the baby dying, Not but the everything baby, else Poor is fine. little Charles. But, oh my god, and if you look at photos of him... No. He's got like the curliest, like, oh, blondish okay. hair. He's such a cute little bubby. Oh, I thought you meant... Oh, not the... Oh my yeah. God, no. I and I was like, never, no, I'm good, thank you. I wouldn't... Ne- I couldn't, no. I don't even think they exist. I hope they don't I hope exist. Not, no. But such. So that was on this day, May the twelfth. Poor little baby Charles Lundberg Jr. What was the year again? Nineteen. Oh my 31? god! I've already thirty-two. 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 Okay. I was like, I've already closed the document. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, so uh, thank you for listening. Sorry, it was a bit of a sad one. I know it's also a crime one, and I know certain people that I know are like crime. Who know? Well, I'm sorry. I love true crime. <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm like, why? Is it my stare situation? No. <laughs> is it my face? It's the guy who was I think if we've learned anything from a little discussion at the end here is that befriend people who can walk downstairs. <laughs> Make sure that you know how to walk downstairs because we don't want to be in that situation. Let me try and finish this or we're going to be here for literal hours and hours, okay? Oh <laughs> So thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you learnt something. We want to spread the knowledge. So niceness. So I've been Tess. And I've been joined by... <laughs> Steph. Steph. Hi, it's me again. <laughs> She's lost it. It's the stare thing. 
Sorry. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. I hope to see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>